Welcome to the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast, where we make retirement planning easy and enjoyable. Discover practical advice to create a retirement strategy that fits your lifestyle and budget. Get ready for market updates, intriguing finance headlines, book reviews, special guests, and inspiring case studies. So grab your favorite cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk about everything finance and retirement. We're here to support you in achieving the retirement of your dreams. Let's jump right in. Hey Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Nick. How are you? Well, I, it's warm inside, so <laughs> I got that going for myself. <laughs> there you go. I've uh, I've got my shades pulled. I don't need to see any more accumulation for the day. We're good. Uh, yeah, we welcome great. to winter. Yes, yes. We were questioning whether it would come or not, and it showed up with a vengeance. So the long dark tea time of the soul. <laughs> Uh, well, today's episode is going to be a lot more upbeat in the weather, and that is because we are going to review the fourth quarter economic and kind of give a current market update here. So we do this once a quarter, just kind of going through and seeing what happened last quarter and talking about what that means for potentially the future. So that's right. With that, Dave, how did we do in the fourth quarter? Well, the fourth quarter was pretty darn good. I think the Wall Street Journal called it the everything rally in late yeah. December. <laughs> stocks were every every subclass of stocks was positive. Every bond category in the US was positive. It was quite the uh, quite the fourth quarter. Good time to be a financial advisor. People think we look really smart in the fourth <laughs> right. quarter, even though right. we did absolutely nothing to absolutely nothing. The, uh, the all cap, so like all company size index was up 12.1% for the quarter. And this capped off a very topsy-turvy, but very, very positive year where the all cap index for the year was up 26%. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you consider like where we came from and what people thought was going to happen last year. <laughs> right. Right. You know, when we, we've talked a lot about that lately, but you know, the forecasts for 2023 were so gloomy. It, it was really hard to be positive about anything last January. And that's just not how it played out. And it just underlines. And again, you know, we've talked, we did a whole episode on forecasting a week ago. Right. Yep. And, uh, you know, you just you just can't you just can't do it with any reliability. Proof of what we've been saying the past couple of years as we try to predict things. <laughs> so so the backdrop to all this good market return is that by all measures right now, instead of the recession that was expected, it looks like the Fed may have pulled off the soft landing scenario, which is where they right. were able to ra- raise interest rates drastically bring inflation down drastically, and yet still we have strong economic numbers in terms of unemployment and consumer yeah. spending. And, you know, I feel like um, uh, it was the uh, true underdog story of the Fed, right? Yeah. Like, they <laughs> right. said they were going to do it or at least try, yeah. but nobody really if, believed them. <laughs> if, if I was, if I was chairman Powell, I would have at the last Fed meeting said, Hey, here's all the data. Oh, and here's my resignation letter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm out out on top. baby. (laughs) That's right. right. Because we know 
as one of my favorite uh, market psychology guys says, uh, the phrase, this too shall pass. We use it a lot when the markets are down, but it also is important to remember when the economy and the markets are good. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we love to do on these uh, market updates is just kind of give uh, three thing, three positive signals and three reasons for concern. So what, yeah. uh, what do we got going in the positive column? The first thing in the positive column was that it was a very strong year for investor returns, even with all of the noise. And, you know, we've got this beautiful squiggly chart of what last year looked like in the markets with all the crazy headlines that were coming out that made everybody think we were just not going to make it, you know. And all of this does, is, as Mario points out, is just highlight how hard it is to time the markets. Yeah, maybe, I feel like we should run a test where we, you know, have somebody read all of those headlines and then like yeah. tell us what they think the market did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Press, maybe press in like a three for years positive, from now and people for forget. Negative. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that'd be informative. I think enlightening yeah. for the people doing it. So you know, we hit on some of those numbers, you know, in terms of stock returns. But uh, if we look at the numbers for 2023, there were zero recessions in 2023, despite everybody all the talking heads on Wall Street saying we would have one. Inflation fell from 9% in the fall of 2022 to 3.1% by November of 2023. And that's still higher than 2%, right? The Fed's target is 2%, but definitely that trend better than expected and in the right direction. So, and, and that really is bullet point number two on the positive signals is inflation measures continue to recede from those peaks and that the soft landing scenario does look real at this point. Amazing that we uh, have gotten that as our number two positive signal from where we were a year ago. So uh, we will take it. <laughs> and uh, as we end up pointing out to clients, sometimes lower inflation doesn't mean deflation. We're not going down in price, but yeah. we're not going up as fast. <laughs> That's right. Don't expect so, those uh, stakes at your grocery store to go down. They might hold their right. value. They might right. hold that whatever it is a pound, right. but they're certainly not going right. to go down. So, and then the, the third positive signal out there, and, and I, th- I think we underestimate, we've talked about it a lot, but I think in general, it's kind of hard to wrap people's minds around this, ourselves included, is that one of the biggest outcomes of all this is now there is income and fixed income again. Right. And almost across the board, every one of our clients owns bonds. For years, there was not a lot of upside in bonds except as a hedge against when things went really bad in the stock market. And now those bond funds are starting to pay us just to hold them. And that's important. That's important. And just getting back to a normal relationship between cash and bonds and stocks, that interest component of bonds is an important part of that. Now we have it again. Yeah, super helpful, obviously, for especially for retirees, right? Like the mm-hmm. closer you get to retirement, usually you want to be a little bit more conservative, which means you're holding more bonds. And now they're, instead of just being the, hey, this might not go down. If the stock market goes down, it might go up slightly. Right. It is. It will actually pay you, which is super beneficial when you're putting together those portfolios. Right. Well, and we should add that why that you know that's a that's a nice thing. That's a good thing. But also in terms of putting it on this list as a positive signal going forward, it means that there's upside in bonds. Right. You know, they're not that that holding bonds is going to be either way a positive component to portfolios. And we can kind of get into this a little bit at least, but 
one of those things where that income is there and it's not, you know, just like inflation and prices going down, you know, the talk from the Fed has been they're going to keep rates kind of where they are. So I don't, you know, there's not going to be a quick return down to the, you know, 1% interest rate that we had for such a long time. So another thing to keep an eye on is as those interest rates stay higher, those income from fixed income should be more of a longer term than a short term blip, right? Well, there's there's that. And then there's also like the policy implications of having interest rates in a more normal situation. Um, you know, we, we talk about interest rates as being the the fuel of the economy, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you think about it, when, when the Fed is at zero on their interest rates and bond funds aren't paying us anything and investments aren't paying anything, that's like having your gas pedal on the floor, right? Right. Yeah, and if you need and if you need to go faster for whatever reason, there's nothing you can do. You're you're all the, you're all the way there. And so so right now, so if the Fed needed to speed up the economy and the gas pedal's already on the floor, there's nothing they can do. All they can do is slow it down by raising interest rates. Right. Now it's like the gas pedal's kind of in the middle. And if things go poorly from here, if we do have recessionary indicators, they've got room to lower rates, and those bonds have upside when that happens because right. higher rates lower rates are going to push bond prices up in portfolios. Mm-hmm. Right. So we've got we've got some slack there to work with now that we didn't mm-hmm. have before. So I, I appreciate that as far as what it means going forward. I hope we don't get to a point where we're back to zero rates. Do you work for Michigan State University? Are you looking for solid retirement planning advice? Reach out to Dave and Nick, hosts of the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast and Certified Financial Advisors. They specialize in the unique benefit plans offered by MSU and how to capitalize on all you have available to you through your investments. Sure, you can glance at your package once a year and check some boxes, or you can make your money work for you. Find out if you're getting everything you could be with your MSU retirement plan by contacting Shotwell Rudder Bear Financial Planners at srbadvisors.com or simply search for the Kitchen Table Finance Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. That's the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast, hosted by Shotwell Rudder Bear Financial Planners. So that is the positive side of things, Dave. What are we? What's keeping Dave up at night? What are we concerned can't, about? Can't have one without the other, right? <laughs> That's right. So, so we've we've again over the course of the last year talked about this one. It's still a potential issue in the markets, particularly the U.S. markets. Large company stocks have been driven by an exceedingly small number of participants. Mm-hmm. We, we're yeah. calling them the Magnificent Seven now. It used to, you know, we used to call them the Fang stocks and this, right. as it rotates a little bit. But, um, you know, Apple in 2023 was up 48.9%. Microsoft, 58%. Mm-hmm. Alphabet, Google, 58.3%. Amazon, 80.9%. Now get ready for this one. NVIDIA, the chip maker, yeah. um, you know, driven by uh, AI hopes, 239%. Crazy. In 2023, Meta, 194%. Tesla, wow. 101%. Your money doubled in Tesla stock last year. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 had a fantastic year that looks silly in comparison to those, 26.3%. Right. 
Okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, the average stock in the S&P 500 didn't do a heck of a lot last year while these seven companies drove the markets. So what's, mm-hmm. what's the problem there? A, a rally based on a really narrow handful of companies and a hand, very slim, all, all pretty much playing in the same industry is, is potentially fragile. So to really feel good about it, we want to see a broad rally where all of the stocks are up a little bit instead of a few stocks up huge. Uh, Mario gave us this this slide that kind of puts things in perspective. If you took the market cap, so all the shares of Apple times its price plus all the shares of Microsoft times its price, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they total the economies of Japan, Canada, and UK combined, <laughs> those seven stocks. Or I'm sorry, they're 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 markets. They're they're so the entire all the Japanese stocks on their markets combined total about half of Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Nvidia, Meta, and Tesla. That kind of puts it in perspective. There there's some things to think about here though too. There's some interesting statistics that like look back at what's driven the markets over time. And if you look at those statistics, this kind of market isn't that unusual. The number of stocks that drive returns over time is exceedingly small, surprisingly sure. small. Mm-hmm. Like basically something like a quarter of the stocks in the market historically have provided almost 100% of the positive return. So the idea that a few stocks do really, really well while the most of them don't is not all that unusual. It's just right. a little bit uh, magnified right now. I wouldn't say that's keeping me up at night at the moment, but it's out there. I think it's just one of those, like, when you think of it in terms of risk, like anything yeah. that can go up 200% in a year can also, you know, if it can go back down at a staggering fast pace as well, right? Like what can go up can also come down. And so that's the risk of having only seven of those companies. If they all start trending the other direction, Right, that can right. be the opposite effect of what propelled last year's returns would so, propel next year's losses. Right. So when it when you think about something scary like that, though, it's good to think about what you know. Again, we want to be balanced. So what's the other possible outcome? If the if the soft landing scenario plays out, we don't have a serious recession. We have a slowdown. Things are slowing down, but not a recession. A positive. Another potential outcome of this is we see those seven stocks kind of run in place for a little while while the rest of the market perks up. And, and, and so we can, we can get to the point where this is a healthy rally. It doesn't, this doesn't necessarily mean a bad outcome. It's just something, something to be concerned about as a potential problem. Well, like you said, it could go either way, right? Like, yeah, we just don't know. Well, uh, this, what else are we well, concerned the, the, about? The next one I think falls into what we would call the category of there's always something, right? Yeah. You know, we've seen a lot of geopolitical risk over the last 12 months, eight, well, yeah. you know, it was, the Ukraine conflict's been ongoing for a little while. We saw increased intensity in the, in the Middle East, you know, as we finished out 2023, there's plenty to, there's always, you know, there's, and, and the thing that's going to get you is going to be the thing you didn't think about, but there's always potential that those issues are going to widen and become bigger conflicts. And yeah. the bigger they become, the more distorting they become for the economy. So there's that. And then there's, you know, good old American politics. We're, uh, <laughs> we're listening to debates about government shutdowns and, you know, how are we going to just keep paying our bills? And, uh, you know, and then we, you can't escape the fact that we've got a, uh, 
fairly attention-grabbing anyway election coming up this fall. Indeed. The uh, the calm before the storm in terms of U.S. politics yeah. coming up, right? <laughs> Just kind of the, getting started, folks. <laughs> you know, based on the last 10 days, I'd call it the storm before the storm. But uh, yeah. one of my... It's one of my favorite uh, fictional characters would say it's always dark before it gets darker. But, uh, (laughs) but yeah, so, you know, we'll, we'll be, we'll be talking about uh, American politics and presidential elections and the uh, effects those can have on the economy. Spoiler alert. It's pretty unpredictable and not nearly as cut and dry or as fantastic as people are going to assume it's going to be. But, uh, yeah, indeed, I look forward to that. Our, uh, every four year political discussion about, uh, presidential elections. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to pull out all the old stuff, dust it off, change the dates, you know, uh, like the third thing to focus on, it's still possible that inflation can increase. You know, we, we've yeah. seen this nice steady downtick, but the economy is a fickle beast and we could see. We could see a return to inflation, and you know those these last two points could be related. If we see continued unrest in the Middle East, that's going to impact oil prices. Oil prices impact inflation in the United States. You know, just saw a little bit of an uptick in uh, inflation this last um, reading that came out. Yeah, too long ago. it's it seemed like it was pretty much baked into the expectations. Going into the yeah. end of the year, we saw what did would we come back at three point four? I think for December, compared to three point one in November. Yeah, not much yeah. at all. But but it didn't it didn't really register, and so I think it was kind of baked into seasonal expectations in a way. Yeah, it's always possible, and if if we do see inflation tick back up, we're going to see the Fed to have to either prolong where they're at in interest rates or raise them further, while the market has kind of built this expectation around interest rates coming back down a bit. The, the great uh, standoff between the Fed and the market, yeah. right? <laughs> the market yeah. definitely is expecting some rate cuts this year, and the Fed <laughs> is coming out and saying, not so fast, my friend. We will see. So that's kind of where we sit right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, it feels a lot different than last year. I wouldn't say, um, you know, brimming with optimism, but at least we're not coming out of a deep hole where it just seems like it's going to get deeper. Yeah, I mean, definitely coming going back to last year, and uh, you know, a better place, a better feeling um, than what we had in January of last year. I'd be interested to go and listen to our uh, tone of voice on last year's uh, <laughs> quarter, quarterly yeah. uh, input. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, and it just goes to show you never know, right? Like right. that's why we right. don't build portfolios for what's going to yeah. happen in the short term. We're building portfolios for what's going to yeah. happen in the long term. We, we do this, we do this quarterly because to not do it would seem like we were asleep at the switch, but really you don't want to think about your investments in 33 month chunks. You want to think about right. them in, in 10 year chunks if you can. And so, uh, you know, just goes back to the, some of the other recent podcasts about the news and the media and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of noise of, you know, they want to sensationalize all this. That's why there's so many headlines right. on that slide that Mario put together. And the reality is 
none of them really made a difference at all last year. And usually that's right. the case more often than not. All right, Dave. Well, I look forward to uh, 2024 and what the future yeah. has to hold. And if our listeners are uh, interested, if you haven't checked out our prediction podcast, be sure to check that one out <laughs> as well. <laughs> Yeah. So we are live and on the record of what we think is going to happen. So we <laughs> shall see. <laughs> so far, so good. We got 12 months to, to, yep. to be right. <laughs> the future will be surprising. <laughs> How's that? I love it. All love right. It. All, All right. right. Thanks, Dave. Been a pleasure as Take always. Care. Yep. Thanks. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.